All right, Second John, we're going to finish it today, maybe. I'm going to try. It's not really a long teaching today, so I think we will. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13, but we'll actually pick it up in 10. But I wanted to get some context here. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon this study as we finish out these final verses of 2 John. Lord, we know that within every verse of your holy scriptures, there is much that we can learn, discern, uh, and grow from. So we ask you to bless this study now in Jesus' name. Amen. When I mentioned Alexis de Tocqueville, I don't know if I finished the thought, but what his, uh, what his discoveries were as he traveled around America, he determined that the greatness of America was based upon its strong faith in God. And he said, the fiery pulpits across America. That was what he attributed the greatness of America to, was the solid Christian faith of the majority of the American people. And that was um, about 200 years ago. All right, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine or teaching, this teaching, and he just mentioned in the previous verse that we read, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Now we know we have volumes and volumes and volumes of commentaries on the Bible. We have different theological systems, Arminianism, Calvinism, and so forth. High criticism, which is really apostasy. But the only way we can know what the doctrine of Christ is, is to be in the Word of God. That's where the doctrine of Christ comes from. Everything else is just the opinions of men. So when John talks about the doctrine of Christ, he's talking about those things that have been given to us, uh, as Jude mentions in his one-chapter book, the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Once for all. That means anything beyond what we have in the Old and New Testament are the words of men. Now, sometimes men come up with some good words. They come up with accurate interpretations of the Scriptures. But when we start having new doctrines, new teachings that deviate from the Holy Scriptures, those must be rejected. Because the faith that you and I now possess through faith in Jesus Christ was handed down 2,000 years ago through the apostles. In Acts chapter 4... It talks about the fact that the people were dedicated to the apostles' doctrine. And we've talked about many of the deceptions that have come into the church, the Jesus Calling book being one, there are many others. It's been going on for 2,000 years. But understand what John is talking about when he says, anyone who does not bring this doctrine, it's the doctrines of the Old and New Testament, Anything that goes beyond that. We talked last week about those who run ahead, remember? Run ahead, get out ahead of God. Come up with their own ideas, their own beliefs. Some of the crazy things. 
If anyone, and so what he's talking about is anyone claiming to be a follower of Christ but does not continue in the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, but instead trying to introduce false doctrines into the church, which we would call the teachings of men. 2 Peter 2.1. Peter's talking about times past and now time present. He says there were also false prophets among the people. We know that as we study the Old Testament. That was something that Israel struggled with throughout their history. There were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be. Peter doesn't say, well, there might be. Kind of be on the lookout. There might. No, he says there will be false teachers among you in the church. Oftentimes we're so concerned about attack from without. But historically, those who attack the church from the outside do nothing but make the church stronger. The enemy's purpose, his goal, his strategy is to attack the church from within. False teachers among you. And so he looks for, for ways, for places where he can weave in his false teachers. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly... No false teacher ever walked into a church and said, hey man, I'm a false teacher, let's rock. <laughs> and see, that's the thing, they win you over and you begin to embrace them as a brother or a sister in Christ and you begin to love them and so then when you find out maybe something that they're doing or saying isn't accurate, you have a hard time dealing with that because, well, I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters, aren't I? I've seen this so many times over the years. I've showed people right there in the scriptures how we're to deal with the situation, but this is, well, I just can't do that. I don't feel right about that. Really? So your feelings rule the day, do they? Or does the Word of God rule the day? I just don't feel right. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, false teachings, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Did you hear where recently it appeared as though the Pope had denied the resurrection of Christ? Did you guys see that? Hello. Very interesting. The man who is supposed to be the leader of the largest, quote, Christian group in the world, the Catholic Church, I mean, he's done a lot of weird flaky stuff, but now he's actually denying the resurrection. And he's also uh, strongly condemning those who speak out against homosexuality and all the, the related items, the LGBTQ, I prefer the DQ, with a dip cone. I like the dip cone. <laughs> if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine or this teaching, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Now, oh, that seems really mean and unloving. How are we going to win him to Christ if we don't show them hospitality? But here John is instructing the chosen lady, this church that he's writing to, and her kids, the members of the congregation, not to give a false teacher hospitality. To do so would be investing in his or her deceiving ministry. I remember years ago, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith teaching on this passage and talking about this very thing, and he, he, uh, he related a story how a couple in his church had started to um, 
spend time with some Jehovah's Witnesses. They invited him into the home and were trying to witness to them and so forth. These folks are very highly trained, by the way. And they acted like they were very interested and wanted to know more and so forth. And so this couple very innocently, naively set up a meeting with Pastor Chuck. And they would come walking in, but along with them were like two or three of their overseers uh, in the Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall cult. And uh, so they began to discuss. And of course, their, their purpose there was really not to learn, but to debate. And so... Um, Chuck began to talk to him about their New World Translation where they change John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the Jehovah's Witnesses, quote, translation, the New World Translation, they've changed it to the Word was a God. And so uh, Chuck um, challenged this guy on the whole thing, and he handed him a Greek New Testament upside down and the guy pretended to be reading it <laughs> and Chuck said okay I think we're done see you later but the thing is and I've mentioned this before that the prime target for these cult groups uh, are weak untrained Christians who aren't rooted and grounded in the truth of the word that's their number one target because and I was targeted as a junior high kid by my best friend who was a Mormon because in targeting a believer who doesn't know the scriptures and doesn't have a firm foundation and perhaps isn't well connected to a local church, uh, they're dealing with people who have already exhibited a desire to know God, a hunger for God. And that was me. I received Christ as a preschooler but never had a whole lot of training just going to Sunday school, which was good, but uh, it didn't take me far enough because I dropped out of church in junior high. But they came to me and they said, uh, well, if God had one true church upon the earth, wouldn't you want to be a part of that? And I said, absolutely, because I loved God. You know, I didn't know near as much as I needed to know, and I didn't have the deep connections with my church that I needed to have. So they got me right there where they wanted me. Wouldn't you want to be a part of God's real church? His true church? And so this idea, and I'm not saying that, you know, that we've got a pretty strong group of believers here, I think, in this church. But I think when it comes to ministering to people who are deeply inculcated into these cult groups, I think to minister to them is a special calling. And there have been men through, down through uh, the ages. Uh, Dr. Walter Martin, the late great Dr. Walter Martin, was an expert on the cults. They certainly couldn't put anything over on him. But Pastor Chuck's advice was to adhere to what John is saying here and not engage with these people unless it's a very obvious God thing. Otherwise, you run the risk of being influenced by them. And you also run the risk of encouraging them and making them feel like what they're doing is okay. With two problems that I see with this. First of all, they will be encouraged to continue doing what they're doing, going around deceiving people. You can always pray for them. There's nothing wrong with that. But in our own human compassion, we feel sorry for them. God, let's be honest here now. 
God seems to feel otherwise. Now, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Yes, God's not willing that any should perish. But in the Old Testament, the most severe sin that God dealt with was the sin of idolatry, right? Worshiping other gods. That's exactly what these people are doing. This is the New Testament version of idolatry. And God, as the creator of all things, as the creator of the human race, God does love the whole world. But at the same time, He has a great deal of righteous anger when it comes to idolatry and deception, leading people astray. And so whereas we might say, well, I really feel bad for them, I feel sorry for them, they're deceived, I need to try to help them. God tells us here in His Word, don't receive them into your house, nor greet them. See, it's the same principle in the New Testament where we talk about disfellowshipping someone if they're engaging in an ongoing pattern of sinful behavior and they're not willing to confess, to repent, like if they're in an ongoing adulterous relationship, an incestuous relationship like the guy and his stepmother in 1 Corinthians 5. The disfellowshipping process was intended to bring them under conviction, to hold them accountable for their sin. And the, the grievance that Paul had with the Corinthians is that they were embracing this couple, loving on them when they were in the midst of a sinful lifestyle. The disfellowshipping was not out of anger or hatred. It was in the hopes of having those people restored. And it's the same way with, when we're dealing with these false teachers, these deceivers. See, they misunderstand. When you love on them, Welcome them in, give them a cup of coffee, cup of tea, what have you. Hang out with them. That makes them feel like they're okay. It makes them feel like they're doing a good thing. But, okay, many years ago, <laughs> I hate to even admit this, I had a job briefly as a car salesman. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to get by, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I tell you, whether any kind of sales, whether it's car sales or insurance or you name it, anybody ever been involved in sales? You can, don't have to be embarrassed. I mean, rejection, man, that is tough. You've got to really be strong to put, to put up with all that rejection time and time again. No, no, no. People walk away, right? Wow, and you just want to hang it up. But in this case, it's a good thing because if we continue to reject these false teachers, hopefully one day they're going to wake up and say, maybe I am wrong because everywhere I go, I get rejected. So you see, by rejecting them, you're really loving them. But it goes contrary to the way the world thinks. Well, if I just love on them and accept them and blah, 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 then maybe they'll change. No. When you take a firm stand and say, I'm sorry, I can't really have fellowship with you because you're a deceiver. You're, you're a false teacher. You're leading people astray. Well, hopefully, if they hear that enough, eventually they'll come to realize, you know what, I think they're right. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying be mean or vicious or any of that, but we're just trying to figure out what John's telling us here and to walk in this truth. So one problem, they will be encouraged to continue doing what they're doing. The other problem... None of us should ever 
take this position for a minute that I am not vulnerable to deception. Oh, I'm way beyond all that. There's a reason why the Bible refers to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Huge mistake for any of us to ever think for a minute, oh, that I'm not vulnerable to deception. When we are subjecting ourselves to lying spirits, our minds can be turned and twisted, sometimes in a heartbeat. Again, how do you think so many Baptists, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Catholics became Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses? You'll find large numbers of people within these cult groups were once part of mainstream, mainline Christian denominations. I mean, actually, it's, it's highly unlikely that they're going to win over an atheist. They're appealing to people who already believe in God. That's why John says they'll come in amongst you. Mark 13, 5, Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. I am he, or I am representing him. Proverbs 6, 27, this is a powerful verse. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? And again, that's why John says, don't entertain them, don't greet them, don't... In the, New King, in the King James, it says, don't wish them Godspeed. So technically, you shouldn't even say, well, God bless you. Do you really want God to bless a deceiver? <laughs> again, you can pray for them. I'm not talking about being mean or nasty. I'm talking about being wise. What did Jesus tell his disciples when you go out preaching? Be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. We can do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Psalms 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It has to do with close contact or interaction with someone who's ungodly, somebody who's a sinner, someone who is scornful. Again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't show them the love of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. That's what we're talking about here this morning, isn't it? Not being deceived. Paul says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And you might, wait a minute now. These people aren't evil. They're just deceived. Is there really a difference? 2 John 1.11, for he who greets him shares in his, what kind of deeds? Evil deeds. Uh-oh. So those of you out there are thinking, wow, that's kind of mean. They're not evil. They're just deceived. John just says they have evil deeds. He who greets him, or it could be a her, shares in his evil deeds. What does that mean? Greets him, welcomes him, associates, encourages. Again, King James, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Hey, man, how's it going? Come on in. Yeah, there are certain individuals who set out to convince someone of their error and wind up falling into the same trap. Evil deeds. John identifies the practice of promoting... Yeah, they're deceived, 
but their deeds are evil. John identifies the practice of promoting false doctrine as evil deeds. Verse 12, having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. So in this short one-chapter epistle, which was a letter to a church, John's just barely scratched the surface of all the things that he desires to convey to this church that he refers to as the chosen lady and her children, being the members of the congregation. He's just scratched the surface of all that he wants to convey to them regarding truth and love, these two major themes in John's writings. He says, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. Now, what the, the way they, in case you wondered, wow, they really had paper back then? But the pulp from papyrus reeds was cut into strips, which were laid across each other at right angles, pressed and pasted together to form sheets, writing material. That's how they got paper in those days, a pretty tedious process. And the word ink simply means black, and ink in John's day was made of charcoal, gum, and water. So it's a little bit more laborious than writing a letter today, but his real purpose is he says, I, I hope to come to you and speak face to face. John realized and recognized that there was no substitute for up close and personal. Face to face communication. You know, it's so easy for those of you who engage in emailing and texting and so forth, which is so prominent today. I've seen myself be misinterpreted many times within the context of a text or an email because there's no, there's no body language involved, there's no vocal inflections involved, and, uh, and if you accidentally send a text or an email that's in all caps, people think you're yelling at them. Why are you yelling at me? Of course, people always think I'm yelling at them because God's given me a voice like a cannon, and... Uh, it kind of booms, you know what I mean? Kind of the Bing Crosby of the pulpit <laughs> community. Boom, 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 boom. For those of you who know Bing, who Bing Crosby is, boom, 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 boom. It's so easy for our written words, and I'm sure that even John and Paul, Peter, the others, dealt with this as well. They're reading one of these guys' letters, which we now have as books of the Bible, and they're going, what? What's he talking about? You know, can you imagine people getting bent out of shape at one of Paul's letters or John's letters? Or, I'm sure it happened. People getting triggered. So easy for our written words to be misconstrued, misinterpreted, and misunderstood, isn't it? Well, I didn't mean it that way. You know, you send some little text or tweet and you get back this scathing response. That's never happened to anybody in this room, has it? And you see, with the advent of TV, satellite dishes, cell phones, texting, email, tweeting, Instagram, and now we have video churches, you know, and I'm thankful for any way to get the message out. I've got a, um, an old friend up in Seattle, Paul Amsler, if he's watching today, he says he watches every week, say hi to Paul. Paul, I've known Paul since I was um, 17. He was in my group, Phoenix Sunshine. We sang and played together, recorded together. And um, he's several years older than me, Paul, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> he's about four years older than me, I think. When I met him, I was a senior in high school. He was in college. 
But uh, Paul says he watches every week, and that's a blessing because he's kind of a semi-shut-in. He's got some health issues. He just uh, uh, blew out his knee. He's got old injuries from football days and so forth. So keep him in your thoughts and prayers if you would. But the problem is there are many, many people. It's just like <laughs> I know several people who have handicap tags who aren't handicapped. Do you know anybody like that? Or maybe somebody else in the family has, you know, so they use it and, you know. And then, but most of the parking lots you go into, most of the handicapped spaces are empty most of the time. So that irritates me in the Lord. <laughs> but even the people who are parked there, half the time, they're not handicapped. You know what I mean? And so you got probably millions of people in America, not even mentioning the rest of the world, who have now chosen to go to church on online or on TV, right? Video churches. And that sounds like exactly what John was trying to avoid. I don't wish to do so with paper and ink. I hope to come to you and speak to you face to face. I'm not, you know, I'm thankful for those who can't get here and maybe they're, I know one couple in California who watches us and supports us, wonderful people. They don't have a church in their area that they feel that they can go to and get good, solid Bible teaching. And so they go to church online with us and also with Seth Wetter up in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, Calvary, Calvary Chapel, Fargo. And so it, it has some benefit and some value. But I have to say, the ideal in my mind, and I think John agrees with that here, is face-to-face. Face-to-face. The enemy's goal is to separate us as much as possible because the strategy is divide and conquer. If he can keep you out of fellowship, out of relationship with other believers, it's going to be much easier to wear you down and tear you down. The old expression, there's safety in numbers. There's strength as we gather together. And as you get to know people and you can picture them in your mind and pray for them during the week and then you see them on Sunday and there's a hug or a handshake or a smile, those are strengthening things that you don't get from video church. And in John's case, it had to do with the only means of communication they had other than face-to-face was writing letters. So he writes them a little one-chapter letter, if you will, short letter, and says, I really hope to come and speak to you face to face, that our joy may be full or complete. According to the Word of God, fullness of joy involves close personal contact with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with our Lord and Savior, horizontal and vertical, that our joy may be full or complete. John 15, 11, and 12 These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Laying down our lives for one another. It's hard to do that over the internet or through a text, isn't it? Again, these can be great tools, very useful, but they shouldn't be the whole thing. In fact, they shouldn't even be the main thing. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, 
not forsaking the texting of ourselves one to another. Oh, did I misinterpret that? Not forsaking the emailing of one another. Not forsaking the gathering around the TV set to watch our favorite preacher on the boob tube. That's the message version. (laughs) That was a joke. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. What does that mean? Gathering together. Hello. As is the manner of some. 2,000 years ago, this is not a 20th century or 21st century phenomenon. It was happening in the first century. People were already starting to not go to church. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, challenging one another. And again, when you try to do that through a text or an email, sometimes it doesn't come off right. But in person, people can see your face, they can read your body language, they can hear the tone of your voice, and they can tell, this person really cares about me, they really love me. They're telling me this for my own good. Exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, big D, approaching. The day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. The writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul. Not everyone agrees. Some do, some don't. Paul tells us that the closer we get, we all know we're closer now to the return of Christ than they were 2,000 years ago, right? In fact, all the indicators are that we're very, very close. Would you agree? Well, Paul says, the closer we get, the more we're going to need to gather together, not less. And yet, the Bible at the same time says in the last days will be a great falling away, a great apostasy. And we see that happening in our own nation. Fewer and fewer people going to church, fewer and fewer people identifying as Christians. And yet... The Bible says just the exact opposite. We need it more and more and more as the day approaches. So I don't think we can really truthfully, honestly say that a text, tweet, phone call, email even begins to compare with seeing someone you haven't seen for a while. Now, all but one of our children, my wife and I, Georgie, the beautiful Georgie, the beautiful Georgian, that's her actual name. Did you know that? George Ann. Beautiful. Beautiful woman, beautiful name. All of our kids except for one live out of state. Our number one grandson, Aiden's here today, the one I've been bragging about who took six in the state cross country. <laughs> he turned six, 16 on Thursday. And you know, we love, obviously, we love all of our kids, we love all of our grandkids. And we use this little app called Marco Polo where we can send little videos back and forth to each other. But I'm not the best in the world about phone calls and or even none of that stuff. It's probably no surprise to you, but I'm a person who just kind of lives in the moment. Where I am, why I am, who I am, who am I? And I love them all, but the closest connection, i got to be honest, the closest connection is with Aiden and his younger brothers, 
his mother, our daughter Tara, because they're right here where we can see them and spend time with them. I don't love the others any less, but even my own brother and sister have lived far away from me for many years. We don't see each other very often, and I love them, but it's just not the same. It's not the same. And it's a sad fact of life in this day and age we live in. We live in a country that's 3,000 miles across, and it's not like it was 100 years ago where somebody was born, lived, and died in the same house. And generations, everybody spreads out now all over the place, right? And so to me, this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. There's no possible way you can have the same connection unless you're face-to-face which is what John's talking about here. Problem is, not, not everybody's comfortable with that because when we're face-to-face, we got to get real, right? we got to be honest. The other choice is you run and hide. That's one of the reasons I think the large megachurch has become so popular because it's so easy to sneak in and sneak out and not really know anybody or interact with anybody, and that way nobody knows who you really are. But you know what? Real agape, real godly love is knowing who somebody is and loving them anyway. Hello? That's the kind of love God God demonstrated towards us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And if you were God or I were God, we'd have never sent Jesus to die for us, would we? So thank God that He is and we're not. Texting, tweeting, phone calling, emailing, it can't begin to compare with being able to run up and give somebody a big hug, quite possibly getting all misty and teary-eyed, spending the next hour or two or three catching up on all the details of your lives since the last time you saw one another. These are precious, valuable things that the enemy is trying to rob us of, by the way. Just, Or for that matter, even a brief personal encounter with a church friend on a Sunday morning, Tuesday night. Men's prayer, women's Bible study, Thursday night Bible study with Carl Peterson, Sunday night Koinonia groups that are happening tonight. Those are all opportunities. I think the major message here in 2 John is to continue. To continue to walk in the truth. We've learned about that in this little one chapter book. To walk in the truth. The teaching of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, which we get from the Holy Scriptures. And we can have our understanding furthered by good, godly, spirit-filled Bible teachers who are bringing you the whole counsel of God. But not, they're not all doing that, folks. You can always count on this right here. You can always count on that. Continue to walk in the truth. It also involves, according to John, who's speaking on behalf of God... It involves staying away from those who run ahead and do not continue in the teaching of Christ, as we learned last week. To walk in the, continue to walk in the truth and also continue to walk in love. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor, your brothers and sisters as yourself. And then finally, we saw here this morning, let us not give up meeting together. Strive for lots of up-close and personal face-to-face contact with other believers. And the warning from John is if we fail to continue in these things, then we risk 
losing all or part of our eternal reward. In verse 8, last week we saw, look to yourselves, self-examination, that's where it begins, that we do not lose those things we worked for, not working for salvation, but working because we love God, we want to do that which is right, and then knowing and understanding that the result of that can be a, a reward, that we receive a full reward Again, everything that God wants for us, all the blessings that he wants to bestow upon us. And then finally, John closes it out here. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Now, some believe, as do I, that this is John's home church congregation, the elect sister that he speaks of. That would be the brothers and sisters in the church at Ephesus. We don't know which church he was writing to, but we're pretty sure he was writing from Ephesus And so he sends greetings, love, uh, from their elect sister, closes it out with an amen. We all know that. It means so be it. John, over and out. Ciao. Arrivederci. Hope to see you soon. Let's stand. Father, we know that these words are your words. No human words could be so fully packed with amazing wisdom, guidance, strength. Lord, it's abundantly obvious that what we're studying here week after week as we go through these books of the Bible is the divinely inspired Word of God. Your book is a supernatural book. Lord, really, it's the only book we really need. It's the only book that we would be lost without. So we pray that you would help us, Lord, to take John's exhortations to heart, to continue to walk in the truth, to continue to walk in love, and Lord, be able to make the hard decisions and hard choices that we're called upon to make, which means we might not be able to have a close association with someone who is practicing deception, false teaching, and so forth, Lord, that, that we can understand, we can learn to love the way Jesus loves. Lord God, we know you love sinners, but we also know you hate sin. And Lord, we need uh, wisdom, guidance, and direction from your Holy Spirit in order to walk in that balance. Lord, to be able to know how to love someone without loving their sin and how to keep just uh, enough degrees of separation that they will be forced to reflect. And even as John told us as believers to look to ourselves that you would use us in some way to help those who are deceived to look to themselves to practice self-examination and come to an understanding and a realization of the truth. Lord God, that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all creation, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that no one comes to the Father except through you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, everything we need to know about you is found within the pages of your holy book the divine inspired scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Lord, help us not to deviate. Again, there is that strong temptation. People are always looking for the new excitement, the new titillation. But Lord, help us to stay within the framework of your revealed truth. Help us to walk in it. Help us to continue. Lord, for anyone here today that is struggling with any of these things but wants to really get rooted and grounded and solidified 
headed in the right direction, that they might come for prayer today. Anyone that doesn't know you, that they'd come and invite Christ into their heart as their Lord and Savior. Lord, for others who may need some prayer for health issues, whatever it might be, wisdom, guidance, direction, health, financial issues, Lord, we know that you have all the answers to all of our problems, all of our issues. So help us in these final moments as we worship you with one more song, Lord, that those who need prayer would come and receive the ministry of your Holy Spirit through the uh, members of our prayer team. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.